Hey, this is Karen, Coach's Corner Chats, and on the episode, I have Colton Bryant. Colton, where are you at, and what are you up to? Um, I'm now in Texas. I've recently moved to Lamar University, um, and now we're just hitting the ground running, man. It's been really, really fast ever since I moved. What is Lamar a Division One school? It is. And is this your first opportunity at that level? No, Jackson State was Division One as well. Um, but this was uh, obviously, well, I, I, don't, I guess it's not obvious. My dream is always to get to Oklahoma. I've always wanted to be uh, on staff there. And so moving this way gets me into that Texas recruiting scene. And it was a, it was a, it was a no-brainer move, really. What, what has kind of made you have that um, urge to go and coach in Oklahoma? I was born there. Um, I, I've always been a big Boomer Sooner fan. And I've always told my mother that, uh, one, well, in her lifetime, I would be the head coach there. So now I've just got to figure out how to make that happen. What got you into the this whole coaching thing and that whole push to <laughs> one day be a, a Boomer Sooner? Um, well, I had a lot of injuries. Um, I had three ACL tears, and that kind of ended my career early. So um I know actually so it really didn't hit me until I was about 17 whenever my last ACL happened and um yeah I never thought I would be a coach man uh I was like I didn't know how I'd be able to handle the kids and all that type of stuff and then um my coach at the college where I went to kind of just um he kind of pushed me into it anyway and then I fell in love with it so it all just kind of worked itself out what was those first experiences at that college level? What were some of the things that you took away from the experience with him? One, giving you the opportunity to be a coach, but what were some of the things you said, man, this is why I'd love to do this and maybe add into my own program once I have one? Well, because like I'm one of them that like, I'm not necessarily a perfectionist, but when it comes to what I've learned is when it comes to the coaching world, I did become sort of, like, it's the only thing I've really fixated on, if that makes sense. Like, um, like my girls would always think I was, I was OCD in terms of how I set things up at training and all that. And, and I'm very, I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. Um, the, the coaching world kind of just hit me. Like, when he got me out doing it, I just, I fell in love with it. And then I, and then I was stuck. So, like, I've literally never worked um, aside, like, when I was in high school, you know, when you have to get those side jobs because your parents don't want to give you all the gas money. Um, I've actually never worked not in coaching um, and my first I guess when I first stepped into it I became a student assistant because I couldn't play um, it was a way for me to earn my scholarship and 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 stay in the game and stay around it and man I just fell in love with it and I mean I was 17 at the time so I've technically now been doing stuff collegiate level for now 10 years because I'm 27. When you look back at those first experiences, what were some of the things that that you fell in love with um, that draw you now to to where you're at? Probably like as as you start to do coaching, I think what you you start to really see the game differently, and you start to understand the why behind a lot of what maybe coaches were saying to you before, um, and then you you may you may start to notice a lot of things you wish you had. Like, um, I didn't have a lot of um, big opportunities in the club world. Uh, I didn't grow up with a lot of uh, 
thin arrow. So I had the only time I played club was because they scholarshiped me in. Um, and, and so I guess that the more I got into it, the more I realized like, man, this could have been done this way. Um, if it was done this way, what could have happened? You know, and so for me, it was more about because like I had started my own little academy while I was in college as well. And so when I started doing that, it was more about what can I give these kids to, to give them the opportunity I never had. And, and then really the problem with me in that is I end up investing way too much time in it. <laughs> and so I say way too much time. It's not a bad thing, but when you're in college and you start an academy and you're still working with the, with the um, college program as well, it was, it was a lot of stuff. And what I found was that there, there's so many little details that like, unless you, unless you do coach for a living, you don't really like think about whether it's from a cultural aspect or whether it's from where you're setting up your training on the field uh, because you may do a specific rondo. It may not, it may not even be a rondo that's gonna per se be for an overlap or anything, but you can put a rondo somewhere and make sure that the right back is on this side. And then you can set up another rondo over here, make sure the left back's on that side and just the way that they'll move where they are in the field really correlates mentally for them. So like, if you can do that often, then they're going to, they're going to get movements in their area. They're going to feel good about possessing ball lower in the field. They're going to feel good about numbers up lower in the field. Um, and even if you're, if you're doing it in a small sided type setting. So I think that those, those little details, like you, I always thought, and probably it was growing up was uh, trying to make sure the grass didn't get um, overused in too many areas is why we moved around. But like, it wasn't until college where I started to really understand that why. And then I was asking more questions because I wasn't a player just saying, yes, I'm going to do it. Um, Cause I think as a player, you want to retain so much, especially when you get to the college level, like you want it and you're, you're, you're not, you're just trying to say, okay, this is what he wants me to do. This is, I'm going to do it. And then you kind of do it. And then you start to develop your why, I guess. Um, but for me, it, it, when I got into the coaching world, it just kind of opened up a whole can of worms. I wasn't expecting. And I loved it. How long were you? So I'm assuming you were a student assistant throughout your college career. Four years. What's, yeah. What's the next step? Like, what does Colton say? All right. I love this. I want more of this. Where, where do you springboard to next? Man, I just had some dumb luck. Um, and I, it, it's kind of funny when I say that because it's, um, and when I say dumb luck, it was like really cool things happen. Like um, I used to show people around at my college as like an ambassador. And I didn't know you could get scholarship money for it. And one day one of the doctors came to me and was like, hey, do you want to go to Argentina? I was like, yeah. Uh, they said, okay, well, we have this study abroad thing where we're, um, if we don't send someone, we're going to lose our partnership. I was like, okay, but I can't afford it. And they said, well, you've never asked for scholarship for this. Let's do it. So off I went to Argentina. Well, what a, where, I was in Rosario. Uh, where I lived was so close to Newell's Old Boys. And obviously I'm a big Messi person. So that's where Barcelona obviously bought Messi from. So I started like peeking in the trying to peek in the fence because Maxi Rodriguez was also there at the time. And I'm a big Liverpool supporter. So that was a Liverpool legend. So I was trying to peek in the fence, doing anything I could to kind of get to watch. And um, turns out my host family had some connections with them. Um, and so I got to, I started out basically as like a janitor. I was cleaning things just so I could watch uh, training. And then uh, as my Spanish at, at the time, it's back to not being great. 
but as my Spanish at the time got better, they started letting me do more, I became like a, a cone picker upper. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then from there, you know, you start to get to speak with some of the coaches. They let me do some work with them within the academy. Um, and it's just kind of funny how all that happens because we also, when we were basically, when you're a broke college student, you do things on the side to make some money while our coach had something set up where we used to go work tournaments as field marshals. Well, we were working a tournament and, um, I guess I did good. I didn't miss any of my scores. So the, the director kind of um, gave me like a promotion. I, I made a little bit more money, but I was basically over the boys. Well, long story short, we end up running Copa Rayados. And Copa Rayados was at one point the, the largest youth international tournament in the country. And I was doing it while I was still in college as well. And when I met the Rayados director, uh, so the Rayados is a pro team in Mexico. When I met the director, he was actually from Argentina. And when he found out I was at New Soul Boys, he then took me to Monterey. So then I, I, it's just cool because you get like two pro club experiences before you're 19 years old. And I mean, and, and our coach, I'll never forget when he recruited me, he said, we're going to win the national title in two years, whether you come or not. So are you in? And on our second year, we won a national title. So here I am at 19 years old, um, having been on a staff that has a national title and then got to do dumb luck with two pro clubs what was the some of the differences like going from oklahoma and heading down what was the experience of like that culture shock like what what is the difference in maybe how football is you know you hear that it's like the passion and all that type of stuff what were some of the differences you noticed between maybe coaching and just the style of play um i would say like the so the culture piece is just like here someone's got a baseball mitt with a with a baseball or they have a they might have a soccer ball you know and they might have a they might have a football so the the culture piece every kid in those countries have a soccer ball there is no if ands or buts like it's there you're you're more likely to see soccer than anything else right but in terms of the style of play they're very very different like so the argentines it was funny they actually don't at least at Newell's, they didn't believe in really coaching the front three. They they wanted like kind of an own, their own organized chaos, I guess. Um, the players were meant to, to know who. So if if player A is on the right wing, everyone else kind of knows how player A plays. So they're kind of, there's no coached runs. There's no coached movements in the front three or in the final third. Everything is just do you. And I think that was really cool versus in, in Mexico, it's a lot more, I would say it's a lot more structured. I would say that in Mexico, maybe they want it to be more like Spain. So they pass a bit, I think maybe too much sometimes, um, but it is a big difference. And, but the, I would say that the massive piece is the passion. Like you can go on YouTube and look up um, newest old boys. I want to say it's U10 or U12. One of their U10 or U12s did like a, a pregame speech to his team. Mind you, this is a little a little dude. And it was like everyone will be hype after watching it. And I think that that's something that like we don't we don't have 12 year olds doing that here. And I think that that's how we change that. I don't know, because that's not that's not something that can be taught. I don't you know, you know what I mean? Like that's a leader. He, that kid is a true leader. But 
maybe it's less the soccer piece and maybe more of a leadership piece that we need to get more in with, with the younger age groups. You mentioned winning national titles um, along the way. What, what was that? What was that experience like? What kind of separated that team that allowed them to make that run to winning a title? Um, our coach was really, really good, man. Like he, he's got three, four national titles in, in total now. Um, and he's the only coach to ever win a national title on at the same school on. So for example, he used to be the women's coach prior. He won the national title twice, uh, became the men's coach. Someone else took over the women and then won it his second year with the men. Um, and he's the only coach ever to do that. So the same school, uh, wasn't the, the simultaneously the uh, the same coach of both programs. He, he literally left one to the other and then won the national title. No one's ever done it. Um, he's a, he was an unreal recruiter. Um, what I was getting to see was like, man, we had really good players, but I wouldn't say we were the best team in the country. We were the most resilient that year. That's the truth. Um, I think in the conference, we won the conference off of Bellhaven, who's now a D3, um, they used to be NAI and Bellhaven hit the crossbar and we counterattacked and scored. And that's how we won an overtime with golden goal, right? Happened the exact same way in the conference final. So to get into the national tournament, they hit the crossbar, we counterattacked and scored. Um, and then in the national, and we were in a very strong conference. So the, the prior two national titles came from our conference. And then when we played in the national title, we played a conference, uh, opposition in AUM. So Auburn Montgomery, who's now D2. Um, but man, it was just, and they, we scored early and we, we didn't really shoot again until overtime. You know, it was one of them. Like we, we were on the front foot very, it was almost like Liverpool when they beat the Spurs, like they scored so early after the handball and then they were, they kind of sat in. It was like similar to what we did, but Again, I don't think we were the best team, but I do think we were the most resilient. What I thought was really cool is just our coach had a way of a way of like tearing us like down and putting us back together, right? And so we really believed in everything he said. If he could say, hey, someone make this movement when you get the ball in this area, put it here to this player, and if they lay it off, it will go into the goal. And it happened. Like, and he would always laugh and tell us, I told you so, but he usually was right. And what school was this that you were coaching at at the time? Martin Methodist. So I was more like a student assistant. I can't even claim to be like a proper assistant coach, you know. Um, it was more of him letting me stay around with my scholarship and, and doing everything I could to, to, to keep my worth. But he, man, I, I was just able to learn under someone very, very good. And how long was it that you were down in South America or Central America with that experience in Argentina? You mentioned Mexico. Was that just a, a stint of time or did you stay there for a longer period of time? Yeah, it was a small period. Like the, the summer for Argentina would have been, I think it was like two, three months. Um, and then with Mexico, it was really back and forth. I didn't really get to, so I got to do a lot of work with them. But it wasn't like you're, you're there for a year. Because if I stayed a year, I was going to go for my Mexican A license. Um, it, it, but I wasn't going to be there enough. Um, but we stayed like, so for example, with the Rayados, that was 
I mean, we were the ones that ran their tournament. And the reason Copa Rayados existed was for them to recruit Mexican-Americans from the youth um, age group in Texas. Um, so that was, it was cool in that sense because we also set up um, international friendly. So I had one set up where it was Veracruz played Columbus crew in Columbus and Veracruz, now they're folded, but they were, they had just been promoted into Liga MX. And then they, um, they spent a lot of money probably through excitement, but uh, that's might be why they're folded now. But like Julio first was their, was their striker at the time. And he's one of the top strikers in Mexico right now. He's half Argentine, half German. They had uh Pinalba moved in from Lyon and it was cool because like, that was a good experience that my boss of that company let me set up that international friendly. I was a liaison for them the whole way. It was, a, it was just a, when you get to see those type of things, it's like, you kind of appreciate the, the, the structures that they have. And, and it's maybe difficult sometimes when you watch clubs that are claiming that they want to be elite, but they're not doing a lot of these little structural pieces from as much as like training match, Matching at training, matching when you're traveling, all those things matter. Now, I know that cost is a bit different, um, so it's always a toss-up. So you've gone through the college experience. You've had this amazing immersion in the professional um, environment in Argentina and had some experience in Mexico. After all doing all of that and you come back to the States, where does Colton go next? Um, I went to South Florida, was working at a, a, an academy. Um, and dude, when I tell you dumb luck occurs, like <laughs> dumb luck occurs, man. So I was working under Fraser Foster, who used to, used to be in West Brom. He was uh, one of the academy directors there. He moved to America, started a club because he wanted his family to live in a, a nicer, I guess, place. So I was living down in um, Abacoa, Jupiter. The club was ran out of Palm uh palm city so it's man beautiful air like jupiter is 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 amazing part of florida and then ran skinner was there so ran skinner used to be the welsh national team coach and she's the current head coach of the tottenham hotspurs so women yeah she was there uh paul crichton was i lived with paul crichton paul crichton's currently the um assistant and goalkeeper coach at washington spirit like when I say dumb luck, like it is dumb luck. Um, and it, it's just, and it was cool to get to see those type of things. See Fraser do his training. Uh, the, the academy, like the guy under Fraser, the number two, his, his name was Aaron. He came from Chelsea. So you got to see like, you got to see really high level coaches. And he, it's really nice to see that type of thing. Um, and then, then I moved to Columbia where I finally, I guess I got my head coaching uh opportunity and it was I learned probably the most there that was a very 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 difficult I think when I went into it I was I was super excited obviously but I didn't realize how hard it was going to be as it was happening and then that was probably where I learned the most in my career what made that what made that experience such a learning and kind of a difficult situation man I got humbled a lot and I had to really like, you know, when you, when you, when you attack something that you know you can do, you, you go at it, right? And then it's, it's, like, it's like not getting that rep after you've been working so hard in 
in the gym and then you're like, man, I didn't get it, but you have to go back and try and get it again another day. Right. Um, I had that a lot, man. Like when we were approved to start recruiting for a full season, right. My first ever year, it was three months prior to the first day of preseason. So if we put that into perspective, I didn't have a schedule, an office or a player. And I knew I had preseason starting three months from that day. Wow. So was it a new program at, at the, and um, where is Columbia? Where is that located? Columbia state. So it's in Columbia, Tennessee, which is just South of uh, Nashville, like just. So what does that look like when you're starting literally from scratch? Uh, it sounds like the recruiting had to be top, you know, priority number one, but what even does it look like in terms of developing culture? And like, what were some of the first things that you kind of in that season of learning that clearly you had, what were some of the things you were hoping to kind of put in place? Um, so the, the culture piece was actually the easy piece because you, you, you weren't stepping into something you needed to, to change or alter or fix right? It was you, when you bring the kids in, by, mind you, that year we had to hold trials and pray. Like that's, that's the truth. That's what we did. Um, but it wasn't about like, it was just about being very firm on this is the belief. And if you don't want to be a part of that, then please don't come. That was like, don't, don't bother with it. And so the culture was the easy part. The hard part was in Tennessee, JUCOs hadn't really had um, two-year soccer programs like at the soccer world was new in the juco sense at the time which meant every club had never had always pushed four-year schools right so the juco route was never an option so we had to change a big stigma um, and that was that was very difficult I mean it was one of them where you're you believe what is possible but you're you're just trying to speak to as many people to see who wants to follow and see who wants to try and be a part of it. And, and I, I will say, I, I think I almost burnt myself out on camps on two summers straight. Like it was bad, man. I mean, I was doing, I would get Monday to Wednesday, Thursday off Friday to Sunday and then do it again. And I did it two months straight. So my goal was to get in front of over 2000 kids um, for those two summers, because Nobody knew who Columbia State was. Nobody, literally, no one, and especially the women's soccer part. So the the piece for me was saying what we believed the culture was, what we wanted it to be, and and what our vision was, and we wanted to be able to compete nationally. And and that's a big ask from a first year program. I get it, but I mean, in our third year, we were nationally ranked number fourteen in the country. So it's 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 possible. It was just a lot of put your head put your head down and do it. Um, and it was, it was a lot, man, but I would say what, what helped me grow the most was how much failure I went through in it. Like I thought, Oh, I'm going to be able to come in and get some, get some really like, there's a good club next to us. We had something called Tennessee promise where if you're from Tennessee, you can come here for free for the first two years. And then if I scholarship you, it was a refund check to your pocket. So like, it's not a bad gig that right. And so I thought I'm going to be able to get some of these good Tennessee kids. Um, and that was a lot harder than I thought, man. I didn't get a kid from the big club until my second year. Uh, so it was, it was really getting the girls to buy into something, but then also making sure that I didn't deviate from it. And like, I started learning my, my second year when we, we won the conference 
and we were we were doing well in the third year and I was recruiting for the fourth year right that's when I started to realize that at one stage I was losing recruits to another school that I normally wouldn't have lost and what I started I checked myself and I started mentioning winning more in, in our and like our recruiting talks and stuff and I had never done that before and so I when I checked back it was like the reason I'm losing these kids is because that's not like I yes players want to be somewhere that wins but that's not really the big sell that that and it's not really a sell that they want to be a part of something that they know is um going to benefit them and they're going to be taken care of that they can add to that they can um inspire others to be a part of right and 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 so i had to check myself in that recruiting bit and that's what really made me stay stay humble in that i guess one of the things that you've mentioned is kind of this all in kind of attitude and like determination that you have, you kind of almost like burned out. You talked about it earlier with some of the stuff where you were just constantly doing and doing and doing, is that been something, even as a youth, have you always been kind of an all in um, type of person? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not very good at, um, if I don't go all in, I won't finish it. Like I'm a severe ADHD person, right? So if I'm that king of unfinished projects, if you let me do enough projects unfinished. So I have, I have to go all in and um, it's, it's a bittersweet thing, to be honest. Like um, I'm a big advocate for the work, 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 but I'm also learning that like I learned during the COVID year that I needed a life balance and I had no idea how to do it. I still don't know the best way to do it, you know, but like, COVID year was rough. Like most head, like think of all the head coaches that retired because of the COVID year that have been in the, the game for 20 something years. And then you're, you're, you're in your third year as a head coach at, what was I? I was 23 when I started the program. So I would have been 25, 26 when COVID hit. So um, man, it was rough. None of us in the whole country knew how to deal with it, much less someone that's only been doing a head coaching job for three years. Um, and so it was, man, it was a rough time, but it was a time where, um, you know, you, I did go to a very weird place mentally. It was rough. And then I remember I reached out. What I thought was really cool was one day I watched one of those What Drives Winning videos. And I got this big inspiration that I was going to ask Anson Dorrance, but I just had to figure out how to ask him the question. Like, how could I get to where Anson could actually answer me, right? So I, I wrote out an email to UNC soccer, literally to the UNC soccer email address. So I got to step right inside. There's a weed eater coming towards me. Um, <laughs> and, and I sent those questions in. And then um, I, I, I mean, I, I can't make it up. Chris Ducar got back to me that day. And then I was on the phone with Anthony Dorrance the next day at four o'clock. And I was able to ask those type of questions. And I just was like, I was not taking that. For granted, I asked him everything I could in the time I had. I couldn't believe that, like, Anson's got a very interesting voice as well, right? So when you hear it on the other side of the phone, you're like, wow, that's, that's Anson. And, he, and he, he's been a big help with me throughout that moment and on. So, I, I mean, he gave me a cell to call him that day. And I still, like, I spoke to him last week about something. Like, he, I thought it was so cool that the dude's got, like, 22 national titles. He took a time to talk to someone in a – a weird headspace because of COVID, you know, like I thought that was cool. And I, that, that helped me realize that like, that's why he is who he is. That's why he's done what he's done. 
he he he's this big person uh but he's willing to to speak to anyone i thought that was really really cool so you go through the experience um there at columbia state um what's the next move for you i then went to jackson state and i was there for a year and then now i'm here at lamar and jackson state was man and when i tell you like i've had some cool experiences like being a part of an HBCU at the same time frame that Dion is there. Um, they just also hired uh, Mo Williams, who played with Le- LeBron at the Cavs, um, like for basketball anyway. So you got Dion Sanders, you got Mo Williams, then you got us in soccer, right? I, like I like, but also from a from a the world's been in a weird place from COVID to. All the, all the other social injustices that have happened throughout the last couple of years, right? And so getting to, getting to be thrown into an environment that isn't what I'm used to was really, really cool. And I was able to grow from an even, an even broader perspective. Like it was less, at Jackson State, it was a lot of um, personal growth, getting to really speak with the girls and really like, I wanted to know their why, why they were at JSU. And, and I wanted to make sure they were, okay with me being there and not like you know we were an all-white staff at an hbcu we're the only all-white staff in the whole school so you know it was the girls were just big on the trust and 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 making sure that you're about what you should be about and so like it was man that was a great experience as well i i i'm forever thankful for it to be honest what was the vibe and energy around i mean when you have such a large personality as Dion and then bringing in Mo Williams. And what was that to kind of sit back and experience? Amazing. It's amazing because like, it's today, the, what, what Dion puts out, like every, like what he puts out on the social media in terms of like, why some of these big kids are coming. Yes. They want to play for Dion. That makes sense. If Ronaldo or Messi became coaches, you're going to want to go wherever they're at. That's the truth. However, he's not lying when he says that the, he and like, unless you've been to an HBCU homecoming, you've never experienced a proper homecoming. That's, that's a fact. It's, it's entirely different than what any other school can provide you. That's I'm, I'm positive in that. Um, and then JSU specifically is it's a, I've JSU is a school that has more passion behind it than I think behind the logo itself. than I think any like, Alabama, for example, we talk about Alabama and Tennessee fans being crazy. Go see some JSU fans. Go look at that, that stadium with 66,000 people in it. There were more people at the JSU Alcorn game than there was at the Mississippi State Ole Miss game last year. Wow. Take that into perspective. It's like there was 10,000 more people in the stadium. And that's, that's normal. Like, and, and then uh, for me, what I thought was really cool was getting to learn more about the um, – the different fraternities and sororities and how, how and why they do some of the things they do. Um, man, and they had step shows and stuff like that. It was so cool, man. Like it's that, like that is a really good environment. And I, and I got to learn a lot on the recruiting front as well, because man, I started asking some of the girls, like we had a, we had a true freshman and I was like, you could have went to a lot of other schools. I know for a fact you had offers from them what brought you here? And, and she goes, coach, when I was young, 
I had no friends in my club team. And she goes, I hit puberty. I became the, the, flat, the fast black girl that could score. And all of a sudden I had friends on my club team. And she goes, coach, I'll never play in a team that doesn't look like me again. I was like, wow, like that was powerful. So then that changed. Like for me, I was like, when I got there, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recruit people. Like that's your aim. But then it became, that, that hit me different. I was like, man, I've got I've to make sure I'm bringing in kids that fit that mold, that fit that type of pride. So it, it's different, man. It was fun. It's really cool to hear some of the comments that you made earlier about recruiting and how you started throwing the results and winning in there. And you realize like, whoa, I'm missing kind of the point. And then even now, the experience of Jackson State wasn't necessarily about the quality of play or all that. It was like you said, just getting to know them and understanding that people like the experience of the pandemic, people need others um, to support them, to to have yeah. gone through similar things. And the other thing which I love is that you shared how Anson was going through. He was in similar headspaces that you were. I'm sure he could kind of like, so for you to see someone as high up on the status line, um, kind of going through like, oh yeah, I'm, I struggle with the same things that you're struggling with. Here's what I've been doing uh, has been so cool. The other thing was how important has it been not only to immerse yourself in like the soccer program, let's say at Jackson state, but also to be aware and immerse yourself in the entire like experience there at Jackson state. If if you can't be a part of the entire experience, you don't need to be there. Um, And if you, if you feel like you're walking on eggshells, when you speak, you don't need to be there. That's, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I just think, like, if you're, if you're authentically you and regardless of race, like, I never felt like a white guy on campus. I never actually felt that way. And I thought that was really, really cool. Um, but at JSU, it's, I'm telling you, man, it's just different. And, like, like the, the perceptions of the quality of play are, are changing. Like, we beat Troy and we beat them bad. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a, that's a very reputable school. Uh, we took Houston, who was nationally ranked in the top 25 last year, to double overtime. Um, so it's, it's, the SWAC is getting a lot better. I mean, we, we got, the, some of the girls that are this class coming into JSU now are very good. Um, like, it, I'm excited to watch them play. And also, like, schools like Southern, Southern, Southern has two SEC transfers and a uh, Michigan State decommit, like 6-2 holding mid. She's very, very good. But like the level is good. And I think there's a lot of pride in HBCUs now. Dion's really pushing that a- across the board as well. And like, I think what people are starting to see is like that the HBCUs can get some of the higher level players now. So if you think of like some of the top teams and you think, okay, if there, if there is a, a black player on any team not at an HBCU, those are now gettable to HBCU programs in soccer that, that are not Howard. It used to only be Howard that could get them. Now it's across the board. JSU can get them. Southern can get them. Um, they're investing in themselves in terms of HBCUs from an academic standpoint. Um, like they're, they're making a push and they're, they're, they're not going to not be recognized. They're, they're making it so that you can't, you can't avoid them. Uh, like when, 
when we beat Troy, that was, that was a really cool feeling. That was one of them where it was like, the, for the girls, because the girls are like, they know the stigma. They know it. And they, they, they want to change it. And it's cool when they go beat. They, like I said, they didn't just beat Troy. Like that, that game was, was beautiful. Like Troy couldn't have the ball. Like their leading goal scorer's dad was tweeting us saying, oh my goodness, you guys are smashing us everywhere. Like it was amazing. And for the girls to have that pride is like, we can do it. And I think that, that that's really cool. So then the opportunity opens up at Lamar. Um, and again, earlier you talked about just kind of that, that urge to go back to Oklahoma at some point as a head coach. Um, what was it that drew you to Lamar? Um, a few things. So my, uh, a good friend of mine got the head job. So that, that helps too. We get to work with a close friend. Um, but also like it was an interest, most of the time when you go to a school, uh, because the, the staff left, usually they were either asked to leave <laughs> or, or kindly retired. Right. And so you're usually trying to build something up. Well, Lamar's a 10 win team. And so you're coming into a pretty, you're coming into a pretty good program that is in a, I mean, we're in a very strong conference too. We're in the WAC. And so, and this is this coming up year is the first year that they got to play the full WAC schedule. It used to just be the West, which was just the, just the Texas schools. And then you wouldn't play the, the Grand Canyons and the Utah Valleys unless you met them in the tournament. Well, we got them coming up this year. And hmm. yeah, so I, it was coming into a pretty established program, which also brings its own pressures uh, because it's established. You've got to like, it's proven you can win. Now you got to keep it going. So um, yeah, I, I just, I love challenges. What, what has been kind of the first steps that you all have kind of as a new staff what things have you done to get the ball rolling? Um, really try to understand what Nathan wants from, like, what's his vision of the play, right? Like, um, there's a lot of really good talents out there to recruit. If, if they don't fit the game model, while it would be great to have the player, they might be, they might be better to grow somewhere else. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we really needed to figure out what, what the game model was going to be, um, what we wanted to do from a cultural perspective, um, how we wanted to go about that and, and, and creating that language so that it's all the same because you, you can't have mixed messages. Um, and so that was, that was the first step. And then, I mean, it's a D1 program with no 2022 or 23 commits when we got here a month ago. Wow. So... Yeah, so we've got, uh, as of yesterday, we've got 13, 22 commits. Wow, so you two have hit the ground running when it comes to the recruiting side of things. Yeah, and they're all, the transfer portal helped us. Um, and also, it's nice being in Texas because Texas is a highly recruited state and kids usually like to stay in Texas. Mm -hmm. So when they leave for other programs, they usually want to come back. And so we capitalized on, 11 kids that wanted to come back to Texas three power five transfers that's awesome that is awesome the other thing that I wanted to ask about is why why coach the females it seems like that's been the consistent thing from start to finish for you what is it about 
like the impact that you can make and coaching the female side of things and for you? Yeah, I, I think, I think there's a lot of answers to that. Like I like coaching boys too, to be completely honest. Um, I think for me, the way I would like to go about the culture, the, the females buy into a lot more, not that boys won't, but I think that my, even my coaching style, um, I think it just fits like maybe I wouldn't, not that you have to be super stern on boys more so than, than girls. I just think that maybe I fit that more and maybe that could have a lot to do with my past. Like, I don't know my dad, I grew up with just my mom. So that, I mean, that might be a, a piece of that. I don't know. Um, I just, I think I could do the guy's side as well. Um, but I think that on the women's side also, it's, um, it, it's, it's bigger. Like it's more um, like the recruiting competition is way more. Um, I, I think I would lose my head on the men's side because it's so late. They get, they wait to, for people to get let go at academies to then pick them up. You know, in, in the females, you're, you're usually recruiting two years ahead. Um, and I also like the, I personally like that traditionally girls are going to have better grades. That's one big less worry I have in my, in my mind. Um, now, on the flip side of that, um, I'm more worried on the weekends about where the girls are than maybe I would be where the boys are. The why behind that, I have no idea. That's just, I like People have asked me if you had a son and a daughter, who'd be, who would you be more strict on? I was like, daughter. And that's probably wrong to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's one of them. Like, um, I don't know. I've just, I think it's been my, uh, it's been my fit. And unless I find a moment that I feel like it needs to change, it, it won't. Like, if you think about it, the higher experiences or the, the higher level experience I've ever had was on the inside. Mm-hmm. But um, I just... I, I really like the women's side. I enjoy it. I think it's, uh, I think the, my approach to what I like to do is it fits that better. So you've here at Lamar, you're in Texas. Um, you mentioned earlier about the kind of the ultimate goal of possibly, you know, being head coach at Oklahoma. Is that the ultimate kind of thing, goal or is there something that you say, ultimately, I like to maybe do something professionally and maybe MLS or go back down to Argentina or Mexico? Or uh, um, are you just like, I want to be present where I'm at now at Lamar and see where things go? Like what's Colton's maybe big picture look like? Man, I just want to be happy. Um, I, I know that my ideal, like if, if you ask me tomorrow, any job in the world's open, what do you want? That's the one I'm going to go for, right? Um, but to, to answer your question, like, would I be upset if I never got that? I guess is another question, mm-hmm. right? And, and I wouldn't. I think that I want to make sure that where I'm at, I'm happy. Where I'm at, uh, I have a good relationship with my players, my administration. Um, where I'm at, ideally, if I mean, if it's close to family, great. Um, I think that for me, that's, that's, that's the main goal. Uh, because I think home is where you are the happiest, wherever that may be. Um, and so there's going to become a time where if it's not Oklahoma, I could end up at some random school out, out in the far West coast. And if it felt like home, I may never want to leave. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess 
I'm looking for that place that I don't want to leave, wherever that may be. Uh, that's a great little way to end this chat. This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats with Colton Bryant, and I'm out. Peace. Coach's Corner Chats would like to thank Fearless and Capable for supporting the podcast. Visit fearlessandcapable.com.